Oh, how I miss the time where amen is followed by everybody jumping to their feet and hugging and greeting one another with warm handshakes as the small stampede of little feet makes their way downstairs. You know, those are days that they, they seem, uh, they seem like a distant past, though it's, though it's not even been a year yet since COVID broke into our world and changed the way we do things so drastically. Friends, we'd like to invite you today to open your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, one of the key chapters in Scripture that uh, speak of the ministry and the person of the Holy Spirit. Before we do that, I want to remind you that this, all of this is in keeping with our theme of life builders. Our theme verse, as you remember, is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul was speaking to his troubled children, the Corinthian church, about their divisiveness, lining up behind their favorite preachers and teachers. And he says, no, we're not of Paul or Apollos, we're all of Jesus. He is the foundation. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.10, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ, our foundation. In the last few weeks and moving ahead toward the Easter season, we're looking at those foundational truths of the Christian life. As God has challenged you in this verse, not only to build His church, but each one individually as Jesus is built up in our lives to do it intentionally, carefully, mindfully of what we do. And we've been looking at these foundational truths, these basic truths of the Christian life. It's a process of becoming a follower of Jesus. The fancy word for that is discipleship. But because discipleship has that word discipline built into it, oftentimes we shy away from it or think it's for something somebody else, when in fact, it's the normal everyday life of one of God's children as we grow up in our faith. We began a couple weeks ago by looking at Jesus. Salvation is in no other name but Jesus Himself, God's only Son. Faith in Jesus. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus alone. There's no other way to the Father, Jesus said, except by Him. He's our foundation. And on that faith in Christ, we don't remain there. If we did, we'd stay babies. We'd stay infants in our faith. We move and build on your foundational faith, that salvation experience, a number of things. We looked at the fact that we can step out in faith and not be afraid that we have to continuously earn God's favor, but that we're saved by Jesus for good works, not the other way around. And we looked at the, the fact of assurance, of security that each believer has. And last week we looked built on that, the fact that Jesus is not only our Savior, but we call Him our Lord, and that means that He's our Master. We submit to His will. He is the Lord of our lives. And today's message grows naturally out of that. It's how Jesus lives and works in us and through us as our Lord and Savior. He does this, friends, via the third person of the Trinity, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so I've called today's message, Another Comforter. 
That comes from the King James. I often quote the King James when I'm holding a New International Version in my hands. You know, I read the NIV, but I remember I was first exposed to God word, God's Word, as many of you, by reading the King James Bible. A wonderful English translation from 1601. That was a long time ago. And because our language has changed so drastically, I think we need to have fresh translations that speak to us in a way that people can understand today. But there was a certain beauty, there was a certain lyricism, a poetic beauty, especially in the Psalms that the King James Bible has because it came from the age of Shakespeare. And so we naturally, as English speakers, uh, we connect that beauty and that poetic language, that archaic language, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. From the King James, from John chapter 14, Jesus promises another comforter. That phrase isn't found in our Bible, as we'll see in a little while. But oh, how we need the comfort of God through His Holy Spirit. How I have seen God in times of loss and grief, times of illness, times of struggle, times of testing, storms of life and fear. How God is so present as a comforter. No one else can bring us comfort in times like that. No arm around the shoulder, no well-meant words, only the comforter. The Spirit of God can reach into your heart and soul and restore your peace. His presence makes all the difference. And so friends, how important it is for us as young Christians growing up in our faith to know God through His Holy Spirit and to have His Spirit, the reality of His indwelling Spirit in our lives. Now, the Holy Spirit, unfortunately, teaching on that often becomes controversial because of the stance held, in, especially in regards to, to sign gifts uh, by some denominations. There's disagreement on that. And they're, they're uh, perfectly well and welcome to disagree with one another. But we want to focus on the foundational and important teaching of the Holy Spirit for the life of each of us as believers. We want to do that. The first point we want to stress to you today is that as a follower of Christ, as a Christian, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. It comes with being a Christian. Our birthright is the indwelling of the Spirit. That's your birthright. That happens at the moment of salvation. God gives you Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit, to dwell in your hearts. Do you see that picture on the screen? That is a picture I grew up with. It seemed every church I went to, every Sunday school class, we had three or four pictures that were common. We had the uh, picture of Jesus just in profile by, by uh, Hoffman. We had this picture called Jesus Knocking. How many times I saw that picture growing up? And we had the picture of Jesus standing behind the young lad in that red shirt, and he's steering that boat steering wheel, and it's Jesus standing at his side, giving him direction and guidance. Some of those pictures are just imprinted on our minds and memories. And this one was especially wonderful because it's the picture of Jesus knocking at your heart. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in and be with them and have fellowship with them, and sup with them. I'll be with them and they'll be with me. A picture of God taking up residence in your heart and in your life. 
How does God do that? Jesus is at the Father's right hand interceding for us. He lives in our heart through His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ, the Bible also calls Him, because the Holy Spirit ministers Jesus' love and presence to you dwelling in your heart. Jesus, His Spirit in us. Acts chapter 2 makes that very clear. We'll get back to John 14. Just keep your thumb there. It's an important part. But remember Acts chapter 2. The Apostle Peter, on the day of Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking with incredible newfound boldness, and he gives them a message that Jesus is the Savior, the one that they had crucified. God raised Him from the dead. And it says in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were under severe conviction. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. He's giving them an altar call to be saved. But what follows that? He says, And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you trust Jesus as your Savior, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now that word gift, it comes up here. We see spiritual gifts a little bit later in, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That Greek word gift is familiar to us. We use it in English. The word is charis. That's like Caleb has a sister with that name. It's a wonderful Greek word, and it's the Greek word for gift. But the real meaning of that word charis in Greek is grace. It means grace. It's often translated as grace. It's used that way. But if out of grace you give something, that's a charis, that's a gift. Now it's graciously given because you can't earn it. You don't do anything to earn that gift. It's all given out of the loving heart of the giver. And that's the Holy Spirit to us. He is given to you to dwell in your hearts as a gift from God. It's your birthright. It's your first birthday gift. As you are saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. And as we saw earlier, the, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, or rather, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who indwells you has been given to you, takes up residence in you, and you are like the temple of the Spirit. As the Apostle Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God as a gift? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. It's important what we do in this life, living in these bodies of flesh, because, among other things, God's Holy Spirit dwells in us. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's a beautiful and profound and awesome thought. Let's look at what the Spirit does as He comes to take up residence in us. We got a hint of it last week as we looked at those three pictures of who is on the throne of our life. Is it Jesus on the throne? Or are we on the throne? Who is controlling our lives? Well, look at that. I call it the work of the Spirit. Now the sign on the screen says work. And you see that when I think of spiritual work, I often think of something hard to put your hands on, something kind of ephemeral, hard to grasp. 
That's not the work of the Spirit. This is hard work. This is construction work. This is God remaking you to be more like Jesus. Oh, and when I look at my life, I see there's work to be done. I look at us and how God finds us when His Spirit comes to take up residence. And I say, the work of sanctification, which is that fancy word for becoming more like Jesus through the Spirit, there's a lot of demolition before there can be construction. But it's all hard work. Our lives are a work site. And it's the Holy Spirit who is at work in you. I love the quote from one of the uh, great navigators, Jerry Bridges. He, like Charlie Riggs, they uh, they were wonderful teachers of discipleship, of growing to be like Jesus. His most famous book was called The Pursuit of Holiness. Uh, Jerry Bridges wrote of sanctification, that work of the Spirit. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, whereby our inner being is progressively changed freeing us more and more from sinful traits and developing within us over time the virtues of Christ-like character. Less of the old me, more of the new me, the child of God who walks in step with Jesus. That's sanctification. It's a process. Setting us free from the sinful traits. In the New International Version, it's often translated as sinful nature, our sinful human nature. And that's the translation of the Greek word sarx, which literally is flesh. The flesh and the spirit. The flesh stands for the old you, the pre-Christian you, the fallen sinful you who is on its way to hell. When you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit indwells you, that old nature still is there and wants to be on the throne of your life. But the process of sanctification is being filled day by day with God's Spirit. It's no question that the Spirit is in you, that the Spirit, that you have the Spirit. The question is, does the Spirit have you? And that needs daily yielding to Him, letting Him have control. Let's look at some of the ways that the Spirit works in our lives. John 14, the first way He helps, He is our helper. Now, that is another translation of the same Greek word that I titled the whole message after, our comforter. I will give you another comforter. Many, if not most English translations, translate that word, Jesus says, I will give you another helper. John 14, verses 15 to 17. Our beginning in verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. We talked about that last week as lordship, just following his commands. He's in control. Verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. Another Counselor. There's another translation. Counselor, Helper, Comforter, all of them are valid translations of the Greek word paraclete. Now paraclete, the words, if you know a little bit about Greek, para means along or beside. Paraclete is the one who comes alongside you. It's the one who doesn't desert you. If everyone else does, your paraclete stands beside you. He's at your side. God has promised that His Spirit is at your side through thick and thin, 
Behold, I'm with you always, Jesus says to the very end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You have another helper, another counselor, another comforter, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, at your side. He is our help. God doesn't leave us alone. And I think that's the fundamental truth we want to bring out of that is that we're not abandoned ever. We're not orphan children. We're God's children and God is at our side. Even in times of world crisis and great fear, God's children have hope, not fear. We have faith, not fear. Because our Helper, He's at our side. He'll never leave us or forsake us. One of the ways He does that help and counsel and guidance is that He is our, is our teacher. A little further down in that same passage of John chapter 14, down to verse 26, Jesus speaking of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, translated here as counselor, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then he goes on and says, that will bring you peace. The Holy Spirit will teach you and will guide you. Friends, as you read God's Word, it's the Holy Spirit who enlightens you and gives you understanding and lets it take root in your heart and in your life. Yield yourself. As you read God's Word, do it prayerfully. Say, dear Lord, apply this to me. Give me insight by your Spirit. Open my heart, open my eyes, open my life. And one of the ways He does that, as He teaches us, the next part of the work of the Spirit is He guides us. He leads us in life. He is our guide. The Lord is our shepherd. He leads me beside quiet waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. The old hymn, He leadeth me, O precious thought. God is our guide. He leads us. The thought, interestingly, connected in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Romans 8.14, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I love that phrase in Proverbs. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, your plans will succeed. Literally, that's not what the Hebrew says. Literally it says, your thoughts, if you commit your way to God as your guide and lead, let His Spirit lead you, it says your thoughts will become a reality. What you plan, your thoughts literally will be established. They'll come to pass. Now, I know many things I plan. If I do it in my own self, the flesh, my own human wisdom, those plans, more often than not, they don't amount to a whole lot. But friends, if you turn to God's Word and ask His Spirit to guide you, He will lead you. His plans will become your plans. You'll want what He wants for your life, an abundant life, a successful life, a victorious life. He will be your guide. One of the ways He does that is as we pray, He intercedes for us. He's even part of your prayer life. There's an amazing passage we find in Romans chapter 8. Again, like John 14, Romans 8 is one of the important chapters in the Bible speaking of the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in that chapter, just to set context, Romans 8, Paul talks about 
the struggles the world is in today, even because of the sin of mankind, all of creation is in bondage and it's groaning, wanting redemption of the sons of God at the return of Jesus. So creation groans. And it says we Christians, as we are in that in-between time, putting our faith in Christ and the return of Christ, the church era, we're groaning as well for the return of Jesus. Creation groans, we groan. And then it says of God's Spirit that the Holy Spirit groans as well. It says here, beginning in verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That's why sometimes it's important just to pray. You may not know what to pray for. Lord, I'm looking for Your will today. I'm feeling unsettled. I, I, I just want Your direction. You don't know what you should be praying for, but the Spirit intercedes. He knows God's will for you. And so your paraclete who's at your side, he, too deep for words, communicates to the throne of God exactly what you need. It's important to pray because in prayer, we do it with the Spirit in partnership with God's Spirit as He intercedes on our behalf, an intercessor in prayer. We spoke last week of another work of the Spirit, that He is our seal, remember, our guarantee of our salvation. Or we did that a couple weeks back. Ephesians chapter 1, remember we talked about clay seals and wax seals and how they're a mark of authority. They're a guarantee. Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes, beginning in verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, that is, accepting Christ as your Savior, the salvation act, having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's been given to you as a gift. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. That's telling you that God's Spirit is with you until the end, until either the return of Christ or your own translation into glory at your physical death. He is with you. He is your guarantee. Not only does He guarantee it, but He backs up that guarantee. That's called the guarantor. You know, your guarantee is only as good as the one who backs it up. Lifetime warranty. Guaranteed. And the company goes out of business. I'm just remembering, it was before my time, but didn't we have a lifetime guarantee on this new roof we put on the church? And then that company went out of business? They didn't tell us it wasn't for our lifetime or the roof's lifetime. It was for the lifetime of the company. It's only as good as the one who backs it up. Jesus, He gives us His guarantee. The Holy Spirit is with us. He is our guarantor. God Himself that we are His and He is ours. And now to something that we often speak of the Spirit. One of the works He does is by providing the power for the Christian life. 
You don't grow to be like Jesus through your own efforts. It's not, it's not your work. It's the work of the Spirit. He is the power. He is God incarnate into you. He lives in you and through you. You become more like Jesus. Jesus promised that power to his disciples. Acts chapter one, before his ascension, they wanted to know when the kingdom would be established. And in the midst of that, Jesus tells them in verse eight of Acts chapter one, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the very ends of the earth. The Spirit will empower the church, the individuals of the church, to be witnesses. Now there's a wonderful illustration of that right in the passages. A little bit later, in Acts chapter 4, we see, well, in Acts chapter 2, we already saw the change in Peter. Now remember, this is the same Peter who shortly before, just a few weeks before, on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion, he denied him over and over because he was afraid and he was self-conscious and he was even afraid of a servant girl. He, he didn't want to be connected with Jesus. He was afraid for his own life. He was afraid of what people might think of him. Oh, I don't know the man. I don't know him. And he even swore, I don't know Jesus. I'm not one of those followers of Jesus. That weak and cowardly man who's like us, has now changed. And what's changed? He's received power. Jesus says, I promise, I go to be with the Father, I'm going to send you another helper, and the helper has come. The day of Pentecost on, we have that power, that indwelling power available to us. Look at the change in that man, that one-time boastful and cowardly Peter Now when he was brought before that same high court that condemned Jesus to death, the Sanhedrin, you think he was afraid when he was in the courtyard of the high priest. Now look at him standing in court itself after healing the man who was born lame by the beautiful gate. It says they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? (laughs) Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. And he goes on and he preaches an amazing little message that begins with, or it finishes with, and there's no other name under heaven by which man may be saved but Jesus Christ. Jesus is not only the Messiah, but He's the Son of God. He's the risen Savior. Peter preaches incredibly and boldly And they wanted to know what power did they heal. And now they see that same power the Holy Spirit exhibited through Peter. A little further down, when we finish looking at that power, a little further down in the same passage, it says in verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. It's like they were dealing with Jesus all over again. They remember the power and authority that man had, and now they're seeing it again through his followers. Because he's living in their hearts. 
He's living through them by the Holy Spirit and the power He brings to us. Oh, the times that I have kept quiet when I should have spoken. I didn't rely on the power of God in those situations. Friends, you have the same indwelling Spirit that led Peter to speak so boldly that day. The very same Spirit. Don't undersell what God wants to do in you and through you today. Oh, the work of the Holy Spirit. I was bemoaning the fact earlier today even that there's just so much to dig into. We could spend countless, countless weeks together and not just scratch the surface of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the lives of God's people. We've looked at Him as our birthright, the indwelling Spirit. We've looked at all the ways that Spirit works in our lives. I just want to touch briefly on the, the gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit not only works in you, but by the Spirit, God gifts you, gives you that charis, that grace gift. Every believer is given spiritual gifts to serve. Years ago, our church in Medicine Hat, we had a, an associate pastor who was gifted in the area of drama. And our church was known as the church that put on those amazing plays. We would not only have plays in the church, all kinds of musicals and plays. They were so well done, and but we would put them on in, in theaters in the city. And one holiday season, the church theater group mounted The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. It was a wonderful play, a retelling of uh, C.S. Lewis's classic uh, retelling of the gospel through the story of the land of Narnia. And in that play, <laughs> I don't know how they did it, but they talked me into being in it. I'm not a big fan. of. I love to go to plays, but I don't want to be him. I'm a rosebud season a ticket holder, but you're not going to get me up on the stage at Rosebud pretending I'm not who I am. Well, they they got me in the play. And they said, nobody's even going to know it's you because you'll be wearing a, a beard, a long beard. And I got to play Santa Claus, Father Christmas. And you remember in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as the power of the evil queens, uh, the white witch, Queen Jadis of Charn, her her power is lessening in Nar in Narnia, and they know it's it her power is falling apart because one of the curses of sin on Narnia was that it was always winter, kind of like Alberta this time of year. It was always winter, but never Christmas, and so they know her power is weak because suddenly Father Christmas, the English Santa Claus, shows up, and he has gifts, and he gives gifts to the Pevensey children, like bows and arrows. Swords and shields to the boys. And to little Lucy, uh, a vial that can heal the wounds of battle. And they look at these. These aren't toy swords. These are, they have a sharp edge. These are for killing. And I remember Father Christmas told them something that was so true of God giving His spiritual gifts to us. He says, these are tools, not toys. And I know all too often, and the joy of having the gifts of the Spirit, God's children like to use them as toys for our own blessing, our own enjoyment, and our own entertainment, but they're given as tools to build up the body. They're tools, not toys. And that's made so clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've talked about a number of important chapters. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is one of the important chapters of teaching on the Holy Spirit in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, we're told in verses 4-7, to 
There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, this is to every Christian, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now Paul was writing a corrective passage. They had been arguing, as they often did, arguing over things they shouldn't have, and they were arguing about the role and the place of spiritual gifts. And the Apostle Paul says, you know, you know, he says, don't fight over tongues. Some of you can speak in tongues and, and others can't. And he says, tongues have a place, but when visitors are in the church, they're going to think you're drunk and you're out of your mind. And he says, it's all got to be done in orderly fashion with interpreters. Other people have a gift of interpretation and so forth. He's trying to bring it under control. They're out of control and they're fighting over these gifts. And that's why he prefaces his teaching passage to say, God gave you tools, not toys. These were given to all of you by the same God, the same Spirit, and they're all given for the common good, to build up the body of Christ. And then Paul finishes by saying, desire the great gifts. The gifts of being able to teach God's Word, to prophetically reveal God's desires for others. And he tells them to to bring things under control. Not theirs, but the control of God. And that's a wonderful teaching that each one of us has a promise that God has gifted us. And there's so many gifts. Some of you are gifted teachers. Some of you are gifted in helps. Some of you are gifted in hospitality. Some of you are gifted in, in administration. Oh, how I wish I had a gift like that. Some people do. I know somebody right here who loves organizing and ministering, writing policies, all those things that make my head hurt, but we need. God has gifted us all differently, and it's all for the common good. Tools, not toys. A little further down in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, in bringing everything in order, he says the way we can do that is by looking at how we are motivated to use the gifts that God has given us. And that leads Paul directly from spiritual gifts to love. He says, if you have great gifts, whether it be faith or insight or knowledge, prophetic gifts, whatever you have, but you are not using your gifts out of the love of Christ, loving God and your neighbor as yourself, it doesn't make any difference. It all goes for naught. Because Paul concludes that passage on the spiritual gifts by telling them at the end of chapter 12 and beginning of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, and now I will show you the most excellent way if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. So you see, it brings us to our final point. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, the birthright of each one of us. 
we're given these tools to build up the body, but they have to be used lovingly. And they will be as we grow to be more like Jesus because love is one of the fruit of the Spirit. One of the things that the Spirit brings about in our lives as He grows us to be more like Jesus. Well, it's a beautiful picture of an apple growing on a tree. That's natural. That just happens. You look at those beautiful fields as they are growing through the season. It looks like green lawns. And then in the fall, it looks like beautiful golden hills. Well, that's natural, but that just didn't happen. (laughs) Wheat doesn't grow in rows like that. It doesn't grow without the weeds and everything, without all the hard work. And beautiful apple orchards are the same way. We were blessed to know a family in our first church that we pastored in Esther Hazy, Saskatchewan. Uh, Henry was a man. He was a, a skillful gardener. He had an amazing garden. He gardened he, flowers and vegetables, everything. And he knew how to do it. He was skillful. He knew exactly what to do. He had garden after garden. His neighbors, if they had a, a, a vacant lot, they'd ask Henry and he'd put a garden in there and he'd keep all these gardens going. And around his house, he had beautiful trees that bore not one kind of apple. I knew one tree, he had like six or seven types of apples growing on the same tree because he grafted all different varieties of apples in. And he knew how to prune a tree to get the most wonderful production of fruit. And that's what God's work in our life. The Spirit in growing fruit, He often prunes things away. He changes things. It's part of that sanctification, renovation that God is doing in your life. Now there's a verse I think that speaks to that. We're coming right near the end. It's found in Philippians chapter 2. Oh, I've heard this verse taken out of context many times. Paul writes to a church, unlike the Corinthians that that uh, kept him awake at night. The Philippians were such a blessing to Paul. And to this church he writes, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. God who works in you. We hear that and we say, work out your salvation. Oh no, my salvation is based on my works. Well, those words are in the same sentence, but that's not how they're related. There's something important here. When Paul is telling his beloved church to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, the first thing to take note of is what it means to work out. The word there means not just work. It means Bring something to completion. Paul says, let God's Spirit work in you right till the end, till He gets you to be like Jesus. Let it continue. It's the same word. They give you a hard math problem on the board. Rick was a math teacher at one time. Put a a math problem on the board and invite a student up. And say, "Now, now work out the problem. Do the work. And show your work. And so the student gets up there and he does this and buys that. And he's just, and you can see the work. He's working out the problem to its completion. That's the same word as work out your salvation. Think of a, a mine, a silver mine, a gold mine. And the miners go into that mine and they work the mine. They work out the mine, bringing the rich ore out of the mine until it's gone. They work it to completion. 
A farmer goes to work his fields, and the completion is the harvest he brings. He works his field to completion. That's the exact word here. Work out your salvation. Take it to the end. Grow up in Jesus. Don't take breaks. Don't sit on the sideline. Keep moving toward Jesus. I find it an encouraging passage. And some people say, but but we do it with fear and trembling. That means I'm in hysterical anxiety all the time. That's not what that phrase means. This is a phrase rooted in the Old Testament where the kings of the earth are told to be under the authority of the king of kings. And it says, among other things, to rejoice with fear and trembling. How That doesn't sound like anxiety to me. The phrase here and in the New Testament is used for humility and respect. For instance, when Paul, to that troubled church of Corinthians, sent one of his helpers, Titus, to that church, he was going to see how they received him. Did they brush him off because he's from Paul? Are they, were they repentant of their sins and did they receive Titus in his ministry? And Paul rejoiced in 2 Corinthians. He says, because you received Titus with fear and trembling. That didn't sound right to our ears. But what it means is they showed him respect. They received him with respect and humility. And that's how we treat God. We have the God of creation working in our hearts and lives. You better bet we do it with humility and respect. And we bring those lives to completion. A phrase for that is, you work to fruition. Fruition means the Spirit works in you till He can bear fruit. He brings that work to completion to fruition. He prunes away the sinful parts of your lives, those dead branches that hold you back, so that you can bear fruit and people see God in you and through you. The fruit of the Spirit. That's not just something that happens overnight, friends. That's something that is the product of a lifetime of God's Spirit working in us to grow us to be more like Jesus. We finish with that familiar passage from Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22, Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruition of God's work and His Spirit in our lives, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. The paraclete, the Spirit, Jesus walking by your side in life. Stay in step with Him. As the Spirit lives in you and through you, you don't lag behind, you walk with Him in His power, by His guidance. All of the virtues of the Spirit overseen by the greatest virtue of love. God bringing maturity to His people. It's a mature apple tree that bears the sweet fruit. And God wants you to grow up in Him, that you bear the fruit of the Spirit. And in doing that, you have such an amazing impact on the lives of those around you. It doesn't happen overnight. The work of maturity and sanctification 
is a lifelong journey. Let's close by praying for one another that not only does the Spirit work in us and through us, but that He works for all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, and I trust, Lord, that they will pray for me. That, Lord, we don't get stuck in growing up in Jesus. That by Your indwelling Holy Spirit, Lord, we yield to Him. We know that the secret of being filled with the Spirit is yielding to the Spirit. Letting Him have control in areas of our lives which we have so strictly guarded. Father, I pray that we will grow day by day. That in doing that, we will grow in love and joy and peace, and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. To have discipline in our lives. And Lord, in doing that, that we will model Jesus for the world to see. Lord, I pray that Jesus would live in us and through us by Your Spirit and that we would have power to be Your witnesses. Oh Lord, the world needs us as witnesses today, witnesses of truth and grace and hope in troubled times. Lord, hear our prayer. Grow us in Your grace. We ask it all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you and keep you today. God bless.